You're listening to From Fear to Love. I'm your host, Alma Lee. I am a white woman who was born and raised in rural Alabama. And I think that that in and of itself gives a credence to the gravity of what I'm about to speak upon, which is racism. So (laughs) what the hell can a white therapist living in the South tell you and teach you about racism? Well, all I can do is share with you my own personal narrative about it and my own take on it, my perspective. So one thing I can say without hesitation is that my entire life, I have never once understood racism as far as why people felt compelled to be racist. And specifically, I'm talking about white people being racist towards black people. I never understood it. I can remember being a child and not understanding it. Now, that's not me trying to sort of say, well, I've never been, I, I don't, I don't see color. I've never been a racist or no, I can tell you where my heart has always been. I've never felt like I was better. Never in my life have I ever considered myself better than black people ever. It's never once crossed my mind. Now, that being said, I've tripped up and I've made mistakes and I have, uh, because of my, you know, background and where I grew up, I've hurt people and said things and did things that towards my, my fellow black friends and just strangers, I'm sure just, you know, I've probably acted in fearful ways because of the way that I was raised. Now, what's the purpose of me creating this episode today? Well, I want to create safety in being honest and open and authentic because I think a lot of white people feel the way that I do, but maybe they have trouble expressing themselves because, you know, for many years, I had a lot of shame attached to my previous behaviors, especially behaviors that I engaged upon as a child because I didn't know any better. I think a lot of people avoid having the conversation because they do have those preconceived ideals. I I believe that from a cultural standpoint, and I'm, I'm speaking about white people, I think that it's something that is inherently taught and it's kind of cast upon generation after generation. And I think people lean into that as a measure of connection with their families. In other words, in white groups, if you don't adhere to sort of the hive mind, if you will, then you get cast out. You know, you're not welcome here if you don't believe the way we believe. I've seen that mindset time and time again, and not just in a a racism mindset, but in church, in politics, in any type of collective mindset um, where you have a group of white people and I'm, I'm sure it's true with other cultures as well, but I'm talking about the, my exposure to people of, you know, that look like me. If you do not adhere to that hive mind, then you're out. So I do think a lot of people lean into racism for that reason, because, you know, mama and papa and aunts and uncles and cousins and whatnot, if you uh, even so much as remotely express any empathy or compassion for any uh, party outside of your clan or your tribe, then you're, you know, you're not welcome here because you, you think differently. So it's, it's really a, a, a sad state of affairs when people have to choose to lean into hatred as opposed to, 
you know, standing up for their own personal values and taking the risk of being cast aside. So number one, I think that that is a big reason why a lot of people lean into racism just as a, a knee jerk um, response. Now, that doesn't excuse it by any stretch of the imagination. I think we all are accountable for our behavior. I think we all should hold space for our own, our own values. The thing that I'm very grateful for is I wasn't really groomed to believe anything. I didn't. I wasn't made to go to church. I wasn't made to lean into any political ideals. Hell, I wasn't even, my parents didn't even really, they cared that I went to school because that meant I was out of the house. And they really didn't give a shit about my grades because, you know, what, what, what point is that? So there wasn't a whole lot of grooming. So while I didn't have a whole lot of encouragement, I also didn't have a whole lot of discouragement. And because of that, I was given the freedom, unintentionally, of course, but I was given the freedom to think for myself. I think that experience alone is probably the fundamental reason why I am a critical thinker and why I do lean into my own ideals because I've always had to. That being said... I never had hatred or never felt disgust. Far from it. I was intrigued. <laughs> I can remember uh, my earliest memory of black people and my uh, consideration of who they were and what they were like um, was, you know, I was curious about their hair. I wanted to know what their hair felt like. I can remember being like maybe in first grade and being in town and seeing a, a lady and her children at the store and the lady had the most beautiful afro that is something too that i will say is that i think an afro man that is the most confident beautiful hairstyle there is and i'm not blowing smoke i genuinely believe that i've said that numerous times but we'll get into that later but i just remember being curious you know talking more about the ideals and the grooming and the culture well because of my background because my childhood was so tumultuous and you know my grandparents were my they were my safe place they were my safe place going to my grandparents farm was just it was i have so many beautiful wonderful peaceful safe memories there my grandparents were hard working christians and they never missed church they went as often as possible. And they took us too to vacation Bible school. And so in my mind, my grandmother would get upset. My mama, <laughs> she would get upset with me if I said dang or darn, because in her mind, that was too close to damn. So based upon that, my idea of who and what my grandparents were was that they were the epitome of what it meant to be a quote unquote good person. So keep that in mind, right? And there was no profanity. There was prayer. There was, you know, ritual. There was Christian beliefs. There were, you know, they were just hardworking people. So as a child, when you take me, this white kid, out of an abusive home, and then I have these intermittent uh, interactions with my grandparents where I was presented with routine. I was presented with loving discipline. I was presented with care, concern, and my grandmother curling my hair with those pink foam rollers and praying with me and just taking time with me to, you know, to, to love me. And my grandfather, you know, had it not been for him, I would have never known what, you know, a, a loving man could be like, because my father certainly wasn't one. So take that part into consideration, right? My grandparents, in my mind, were good people. But, you know, they, they did not believe that white people and black people should coexist. They did not believe that 
Um, they never went out of their way. I don't remember them ever expressing vitriol or hatred or wanting bad things to happen to, to the black community. But they very specifically did not believe that white and black people should mix. Now, they were old school. My grandparents were born in the teens. I think my grandfather was born in 1915. My grandmother was born the year after 1916. So to give you an idea of their generation and where they came from. So they were, they were uneducated. You know, they didn't uh, interact or assimilate with uh, black culture. They had no idea. So, of course, and you know where this is going, the N-word. The N-word was just a word that was used. It was just used. And, you know, because profanity wasn't allowed in my grandparents' home, why would I think it, it was such a harmful word? Now, keep in mind, I went to public school, and I went to a rural public school. And <laughs> this is an absolute true story. I rode the bus to school, and the school that I went to was so small, and um, we had kindergarten through 12th grade. Now, in the bus... Of course, the little kids sat right behind the bus driver. And then as you know, as you graduated up through the years, you got to inch closer to the back of the bus, right? And so all of the cool kids sat in the back of the bus. So obviously when, you know, in social studies, I think I was in fourth grade, we were talking about Rosa Parks. And it was never explained in enough detail to me to the point where I, I graduated high school not really fully appreciating the civil rights movement as it was, simply because in my mind, why didn't she want to sit in the back of the bus? Because that's where the cool kids sat. Like literally, my public school education, that's what I that's what I gleaned from that. As a white kid, did not understand who Rosa Parks was, did not understand the value of her her um, her quiet act of peaceful defiance to the laws of segregation at that time. I didn't learn anything about them. Did not. And, and of course, you know, it shouldn't surprise you that in elementary school, there were no uh, black kids until I went to the larger school in fifth grade when I had uh, classmates that were black. I'm still friends to this day with many of them. Um, a lot of them still live in the same community. I didn't have a whole lot of, and I'm not making excuses. I'm merely stating a fact. But at no point in time did I ever have any vitriol or resentment or any type of feeling that I was any better than anybody. In fact, um, I was very close to um, our class president. He and I were, were pretty close our senior year of high school to the point where, you know, we were taking pictures and I had taken a, a photograph of me and him and another classmate and I put it in a frame and after high school, I moved in with my grandmother, and I had that photograph on my dresser in my room, and uh, my aunt saw it, and she said, you need to take that off your dresser. I said, why? I literally had no idea why she had a problem with it. She goes, you know why. It didn't dawn on me. I literally did not understand it, and I think that my naivete, you know, uh, was working towards my betterment because I just, it didn't make sense to me. And I was kind of a, not kind of, I really was a stubborn kid. I did my own thing. If, if it doesn't make sense to me, I'm not going to lean into it. So I, of course I left my picture up, but you know, in my almost 49 years on this earth, and I've looked back on all of these occurrences and it just blows my mind. You know, it really blows my mind when I sit and contemplate what a black people have to deal with. Like, what is it like to live in America and to know 
that a significant portion of society really does not like you because of the color of your skin. Now, you know, I could say that I know what it feels like, you know, as a woman to be treated with sexism, but I can't say that I genuinely know what it feels like to be discriminated against because of my race. I lived in Hawaii for a couple of years and, you know, I got treated differently because I was white, but I don't think that that even comes close to the experience of the of the African-American. And it just makes me take a moment to, you know, to consider what is that, what is that like, you know, and then, and then to lean back on my own behaviors, like, have I engaged in microaggressions based upon my own ignorance? I think that's possible. I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure that I have behaved in ways that have created a level of uh, irritation, frustration, discontent by saying something stupid or maybe saying something that was insulting to someone's intelligence. When I was in uh, grad school, we were talking about Africa. We were talking about culture and the difference on different parts of culture around the world and how different cultures interpret mental health conditions because obviously I was going to school to, to become a therapist, a social worker. I remember we were discussing African tribal traditions and their attitudes towards sex and gender and how when in a lot of African tribe, they have the, uh, the woman will dance for her future partner, uh, do like a dance, you know. When we were in school and we were talking about African traditions and we were talking about how the, the mindset of female sexuality is vastly different in African culture than it is in puritanical culture, which is the culture of the United States and Western Europe. The puritanical idea based of Christian uh, chastity, right? So in in the Puritan mindset, you know, you take the WASP, white Anglo-Saxon Protestant mindset of sexuality is that sex is considered shameful, especially for a woman to express her own sexuality. And it still is to this day in white communities. Now, take that cultural mindset and compare it to African culture that is vastly different because it holds space and very high regard for uh, feminine sexuality, which is embraced particularly when a young woman becomes uh, old enough to enter into marriage. And because sexuality becomes a part of the marriage tradition, you know, I'm generalizing, of course, but the dancing and the gyrating is a part of African culture because it embraces the woman's femininity and her power in her sexuality. So obviously all of that tradition, the African culture is exhibited when you see the HBCUs, the uh, historical black colleges and universities. So when you look at their bands and you see the dancing teams and how they dance and gyrate and how they, you know, use their hips and, you know, even twerking. Twerking is... Uh, derivative of African culture and you know but when you take Puritan culture and you look at that you see how there is that contrast and you see how there's the you know looking down and in, in, uh, in judgment I think a lot of people 
mostly white people, obviously, don't understand that just because somebody else does something differently does not make it incorrect. I think that the dancing and the the meaningful movements that come with those tribal traditions that are intended to to be taught from generation to generation to generation are they're beautiful and i think that they should be taught more in our schools and we should express a desire to understand these communities these communities of people that were ripped away from their culture uh, hundreds of years ago and enslaved and brought to this country to toil um, and to be killed and murdered and treated like livestock. And they were the ones that brought up our, our country from the, from the ground up. There's no question about that. There's no question that black people have built this country. No question. And black people continue to build this country. Black people absolutely deserve nothing less than our full unadulterated respect and um they they're owed a lot and uh i just you know i want to remove the vitriol i want to remove the bitterness i want to uh encourage people who might be listening to this who might be feeling some type of way to understand check inside of yourself to see if maybe your behavior and i'm speaking to to my white people here Check to see if there's something about you that, you know, you can readjust when it comes to how you move and how you engage our black brothers and sisters. How can you do better? How can you, you know, accept accountability for past grievances? I don't know what you, you know, if you've, uh, you know, expressed racist comments, remarks, or actions, but... I just, it's based in ignorance, people. It really is. And I know that, you know, thinking back when I was nine years old at the city pool and, you know, I didn't know the N-word was that big of a deal. I didn't think it was that big of a deal. I, I My grandparents used it. I mean, come on, it, it, it couldn't have been, couldn't have been that bad. I mean, if my grandfather used it before church, it, it couldn't have been that bad, right? Right? It's not that harmful. You know, and, and playing around at the city pool after I'd gone to, you know, uh, switch schools and playing with these black kids at the pool. And, you know, we're splashing each other and I was ready for him to stop splashing me and I called him an N-word. And then he got really, really angry. And then, of course, I was confused. I didn't know why he was blowing up at me and chasing me and trying to, you know, dunk me in the water. And I got scared and I thought I was the victim, <laughs> you know. And then years later... I carried a lot of shame because I knew I was in the wrong and I knew I was the one that hurt him. I hurt him deeply. I'm sure I did. And then I think about the people who do, who do that intentionally, who derive a sense of power by hurting somebody, by using a word, a word that carries generations of pain within it. And that if you're going to express any level of respect, you don't utter it. It's not for you to utter. It's not for you to use. Ever. Ever. It's not for you to use. And, you know, I, th I think about that. I share that because that is my honest truth. 
that is the way, I mean, no, I didn't do it in, on purpose, but I'm still accountable, right? I'm still accountable for, for the hurt that I've caused, even if I was nine years old. And then I'm sure years later, you know, I've done or said things that were, you know, in alignment with things that I may have heard as a white person, you know, and things I might have said or judgments or assumptions, right? I mean, I just think we can do better. I think we, as white people, owe the black community a huge apology and change behavior. I think that we, I definitely think our schools can do a better job. A hundred percent we can do a better job. I mean, hell, I didn't even know about the Freedom Riders until I was in my bachelor's program. It was never uttered in school, to my knowledge. To my knowledge, it wasn't. Didn't know anything about them. Not, not, one, not one utterance in my school education. We definitely can do better. I'm, I know I'm all over the place on this episode. I just, it was just something that I wanted to talk about. I can't even begin to wrap my brain around the depth of injury. And then the thing is, is that it boggles my mind that with all of that pain, with all of that generational trauma that black people have experienced from generation to generation to generation, for me to go to basic training might take my white country ass to the Air Force with my long hair and clumsy fingers and not know how to French braid and get yelled at by my training instructor because my hair was not within regulation. And for me to be under so much anxiety that I was in tears going back to the dormitory after training one day, that I was encircled by three black women that looked at me and they giggled. They're like, we're going to hook you up, girl. We're going to hook you up. And they saw my tears. They're like, we got you. And they get behind me. And let me tell you what, they pulled my hair. And they got my hair tight and they put in Let's Jam hair gel. If you know, you know. And my hair, it felt like it stayed wet for three days. And man, I had that, my hair was braided in a French braid for three days until it, until I had to take it down. I had to wash my hair. And then finally, by then, I just decided to cut it off because it was just too much of a pain. But I'll never forget that. How the hell can a, a group of people just collectively, who have been traumatized, you know, generation after generation, you know, with racism and maltreatment, look at me and show love and kindness and compassion. We can learn. We should learn. We need to pay attention. We need to look around and recognize. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm at a loss when I, when I think about it, it's 2022, you know, and I'll scroll through TikTok or whatever, and people will have their videos up where they have recorded themselves being pulled over. I have people in my life that I love very much, that I care about very much. And it, it's just one of those things that it drives a, just drives a spike through my heart to see them hurt and see them mistreated. I don't want to see anybody that I care about, love, and respect mistreated. With <laughs> Oh, Lord, the Supreme Court and all the folly and all of the just the deliriously, ridiculously horrible decisions that have been made and that they're attempting to make with regard to same-sex and interracial marriage. I mean, can't we just let people love? 
Can't we just leave shit alone? Can't we just let adults be adults? We've got other things we can worry about. We've got other things that we can focus our attention on. But I will say this in in closing. This is a long one. (laughs) You know, I think that uh, the government can control us when we don't like each other and when we are at odds with each other and when we have racial tension and when we are divided. And uh, I think that that's the purpose behind it. And uh, it's just easier to control people when we are in small subset groups and when we have uh, a distrust of one another. And I think that it's important that we learn to trust each other. And I think it's important that we learn to respect one another. That's how I feel about that. All right. From fear to love. This has been an LBM production. Please like, subscribe, and share this show. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 